Coming up, today's guest is the Senior Manager of Growth at DraftKings. He shares how to create winning ad creatives, how to get started with programmatic advertising if you are a founder, and how the right onboarding flow can help you get better day one retention rates. All that and so much more. The most action-packed content from the top mobile experts. This is the App Masters Podcast with Steve P. Young. From Apple features to ASO to influencer marketing, you will learn all the tools and tactics to make it in the app space. Learn more at appmastersacademy.com. Calculate your app's lifetime value and learn how you can exponentially scale your growth. Pollen.vc is the best way to manage cash flow and invest in your app's growth. Learn more at pollen.vc. What is up, App Nation? It is Steve P. Young, founder of AppMasters.com, the place you go when you want action-packed content in the app business because I talk to some phenomenal people out there to really ask them questions that we all want to know so that we can all collectively use these strategies to grow our app business. Today, I've got a phenomenal guest. I got to meet this person in live, actually. I got to hear him on a panel, a UA panel, for an event that we I helped organize through Pollen VC and SVV. Silicon Valley Bank. And he, I was like, dude, after the panel, I was like, Jonathan, you got to come on and let me interview you. I loved all the things he was talking about. So let me introduce the guest. His name is Jonathan Lau. He is the Senior Manager of Growth at DraftKings. You got to check out that app if you're into fantasy football like me or just daily fantasy in general. It is DraftKings. Just search for it on your favorite app stores. You've probably heard of them already. He is an ex-banker, UA nerd. He spent the last seven years in mobile UA, really honing his craft, creating ads for himself while he still manages a team. I love a guy who's a lead, but also loves to get in there and do the things still. That's like me. I'm like that as well. So without further ado, John, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Steve, for your invite. John, so let's talk about this, man. You Something that you pointed out during the UA panel as well, and I loved it, was create ads for your users, not for you. So tell me a little bit about that. Um, sure. Uh, a lot of times like when we as marketers are looking at what type of ads or what type of creatives or what type of concepts we want to run, uh, oftentimes we, we bias against like what we like, what we want, how we like the look and feel of something, right? So one example I can use is that back when I was uh, uh, running the UA team at Play Studios, uh, our creative team would come up with these slot creatives. And I'm like, man, this is so nice. It's going to be the best creative ever. It's the one that's going to win them all, right? And then we, we run it, and it's like the worst ad we ever run. On the flip side, you would see something, or I would see something where uh, it's ugly, or I would think it's ugly. It's not like pleasing to my eyes. And then we run it, it's going to be like, the best creative we've run for six months ongoing. And from that, I learned that you, you really have to create advertising. You really have to create the, the messaging and the concept for your users and not for you, right? Because oftentimes we're, we might be marketing apps or, or, or whatever it may be that where the target user is not you or me, but someone else completely different. So, when we're doing that conceptualizing of different ways of approaching the messaging or coming up with different uh, creative concepts, really put your user first. 
Who are you marketing to? Uh, what demographic are, are they? Uh, what type of interests are they? Now, oftentimes when you're running on Facebook, a lot of that is algorithm based. You don't really have to do a lot of work around it. But when you go and go outside that environment or you want to further um, optimize the creative, you really have to think about, okay, what is my user like? And what can I do to reach out to them, to get them to linger, to get them to click on the ad, to get them to actually convert. So these, that's what I really meant. So how do you figure that out? Like, how do you know, or how do you kind of try to know, I guess, try to understand what your end user wants? Um, there are several different ways and it's very, very genre specific. Um, so if I was going back to slot gaming, um, we know that our the, the age groups, for example, of our users or the uh, uh, gender split between our users, we know that on one ad, on one app, we tend to have a 50-50 split between male and female, whereas on another slot app, we actually tend to be heavier on female, right? So with that, a lot of that is A-B testing and trying out a lot of different things. Um, but also, let's say if it's a little bit more female bias, we know certain IPs will work better. For example, Bridesmaids, when we launched it, um, was a very, very good IP and very much appealed to our female audience. Um, here at DraftKings, we do a lot of sports-oriented uh, advertising, whether it be team-specific uh, or sports-specific. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that we can play with the demographic targeting, um, not only on the marketing side, but with the creative that we create uh, and try to kind of tailor a little bit to the user that we're trying to target. So you're matching the targeting piece and the creative piece uh, together. Um, but there is a trap to that, which I think you'll go into a little bit later. Now go ahead, what is the trap? So the trap is when you overly customize, uh, when you become, you go way too granular. Um, so uh, one thing I learned earlier in this season was um, we were uh, launching uh, these NBA ads and their team specific ads uh, week one of NBA. And I got really gung ho around the idea of creating advertising that were very specific to a specific game, right? Um, and it came up with these like, uh, messaging and creatives. I was like, oh my, this is going to kill it. This is going to be so specific to those type of users and those fans. And then ran it, it completely bombed. It completely bombed because you were targeting such a small audience. That creative was meant for so little people that you couldn't even achieve the critical mass in order to get enough impressions to know whether it worked. And because the window in which you actually run that creative so short, given that is a game specific creative, it meant that it was doomed to fail before I even began to run it. So that's where it's like, okay, you want to tailor, you want to customize, but you don't want to overdo it um, because there's a limit in which where I think you have to balance whether how far you want to go with it. Were you just targeting people in a certain region too? Like first, let's just assume the Warriors, right? Yeah. We're both in the Bay Area. So were you like, hey, let's all, everybody in the Bay Area, Warriors versus Clippers. And that's all we're going to sort of show that, that. Was this something that specific where you're like, okay, this geo fans yeah. of, and then this specific creative too? So for that specific ad, uh, we were running in states where we were allowed to run. And uh, for that specific ad, uh, we didn't have that, that many states live at the time. So yes, we were targeting a very, very small TMA. And we're like, <laughs> after the fact, I was like asking myself, what were you thinking? Like, why would you not know this after, you know, six years in the industry? But sometimes you get caught up 
in the moment of of creativity i mean like on paper it sounded great it feels great but i think to your point if it was targeting a larger audience it might have worked um and and that's where the trap comes in is that you get so gung-ho about putting together these like concepts together or pairing the right messaging or wanting to cater to the right audience that you might go way too small and this might be too granular, Jonathan, but like one thing that I was thinking about, like what if you, it was a generic creative, right? Like, so you talked about DraftKings, the daily stuff, everything else, but then the ad text, so the text accompanying, like, let's just assume it's a Facebook ad. Now the text itself within the ad is more specific. Hey, what's up, Warrior fans? You think that would have been more effective if you had a generic ad creative, but the text itself was more granular? It, it might work. And realistically, I think that makes a little bit more sense than what I did, um, because A, you also have to consider the scalability of the ad, right? If you have uh, limited creative bandwidth or limited creative resources, making a ton of game-specific ads uh, or creatives doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, you get a lot more bang for your buck when you create something generic. Um, or at least like sports specific, if not team specific, uh, and and then doing a, a more customized copy around it. That turnaround time is significantly shorter than if I wanted to create like a game specific ad every for every single game. So I know you're in charge of the programmatic advertising at DraftKings. Are you guys doing like if you had a favorite channel besides programmatic? And I'm assuming you know programmatic. You got Google. You got the Facebooks of the world. You have a specific channel for maybe the founders out there or any tips that you have? Because why? I guess that's too many questions at once. So let me take a step back. But if you're, if you're to the founders in the audience who have a smaller budget with programmatic, what I've heard, and you tell me if I'm wrong, Jonathan, is that, hey, you need a bit of a budget. So you need anywhere from like five to 10,000. Some of my founders don't have all that money to spend, but just to get the data, right? That's just yeah. the test campaign. And then once Google and Facebook start figuring stuff out, then you can start scaling up. So to those who there who might have, who might be working with just the five to $10,000 budget in general, what kind of recommendations would you have with programmatic? That's a, that's a very tough question because it, you also, there's a lot of different things to consider. So outside of the budget, there's also the consideration of the sophistication of the person who is doing the buying. Um, so are you talking about someone who can go into the weeds of looking at like all the uh, attribution reports by publisher, by campaign, you know, are we talking about someone who just wants to like put $500 somewhere and just spend the money and, and try to drive some growth, right? Depending on who that person is, if you're like type B where you just want to spend $500 and put it somewhere, it might make sense for you to put it towards, you know, the Facebook and Googles where uh, you can follow the UI and, and, and you don't have to pull that many levers, right? Uh, Google UAC is a very good example where it's very low touch. Uh, where you just put in the creative, put in your budget, put in your targeting, and just let the black box work its magic. You'll, you won't really learn anything from that, but if you're that at that level of sophistication where you're like, I'm not here to do UA, I just want to grow, get a, like uh, some installs, that might be your avenue. If you're someone who wants to be a little bit more granular and wants to understand like uh, a little bit more of the metrics behind what drives like good mobile marketing, then you might want to dive a little deeper and work with some ad networks right out there. Um, and that even that it's very genre specific. So if you're mobile gaming, that might work well for you. 
However, if you are like more uh, retail or e-commerce, it might not make sense for you and you might want to go somewhere else. Uh, so that's a very tough question. It's very specific to like the, the type of user uh, or the genre and, and the levels of sophistication. No, I think you answered it well, because I think it is the latter part, right? Like, hey, I've got budget, because this is what I get, John. Like, John, yeah. the, I get people who are like, hey, I have this budget, like, help me spend it. And what's the yeah. most effective channel for it, right? They don't care about the internal, they just want to grow and they want to grow their user base. And so it is just about like, I've got this budget, just help me spend it. What's yeah. the most cost effective way of spending? And so you probably say, hey, spend it on Google, they're going to let you figure it out. It's the most cost effective way. Can you start with 500? Or was, I thought it was like 5,000, you know, like I thought it took a little bit of a budget to learn all that data. You, you can, I just don't know how far you'll get with it. Uh, um, and, and, and that's the thing, like when you buy on something like Facebook, you're competing with these gigantic behemoths out there, right? Um, whereas like you, by the same time when you're, you're buying on ad networks, let's say if you're buying on a rewarded video, for example, right? You're also competing uh, with a lot of advertisers who can afford to pay this incredibly high ECPM uh, and, only, and, and, and maintain it, you know, over a long period of time. So for a lot of the founders or, or new entrepreneurs to the space, it is definitely a very, you know, I have to say it's a very hard thing to do to, to get started. And there is going to be some spend commitment there. Back to the creative side of things, and I know you kind of talked about this during the panel as well, but the thing that I want to get into is like, how do you find the inspiration? You know, I know the Facebook ad library is out there so people can search what the competitor is doing. How do you get that inspiration? So like to the founder out there who doesn't have a whole lot of budget to create the creatives, like, do you think like three to five different creatives is enough to start testing like, you know, and I know you, I think it was you that said it, like the quality doesn't even have to be super high as well. So like what, what kind of recommendations or what kind of tips do you have for the founder? From a creative standpoint, I think having different variations is very, very important because if you're new, you really don't know like what will work, right? So if you're like a core gamer or you're creating a core game, you know, creating games where you're featuring like some game moments might make sense. At the same time, like um, you would see a lot of uh, the playable ads or even the ads I see now for core gaming. It's like those playable ads have nothing, looks nothing like the final product that you end up downloading, right? We all know what company does that uh, or did that. And, 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 but then it did very, very well, right? So fundamentally, when you're showcasing an ad, your primary goal should not be, I want to get this person to purchase an in-app purchase, right? You're many steps away from that. Your first goal is to create a linger effect, right? So if someone is scrolling down their newsfeed, they are bombarded by, you know, 30 apps per, per, per scroll or whatever. How do you get a user to stop? right? Your initial goal is to get someone to stop and linger on your ad. And then your second goal is to drive the click and then the click to install. So if you break it down from that point of view, then you have to think about, okay, what in my app can get someone to linger? Is it the, you know, the final boss fight or is it the, uh, the win moment on a slot game. Um, and depending on the genre, it could be very, very genre specific. So going back to slots, showcasing the win moments uh, are typically the best practices. Um, so 
understanding what genre you're in and what elements within your game can call out to your users is important when you're thinking about creative ad. It's not, it's not like you can just go to a creative agency. It's like, Hey, just create like five ads for me. Um, you really have to put a little bit of thought about it uh, into it, especially when you are a, a startup with limited funds. I like that. Do you have any other tips? I love the, the winning moment piece of it. And I found that having talked to other you know, UA people, they said, look, if you show a little bit about the app, I know this is what Calm does, what Peak does, where they show a little bit because it engages people, it brings them back, the higher retention rate, those ads. The win moment, besides the win moment, have you seen anything else be super effective in showing? Um, so one thing that I feel like doesn't, okay, this is the opposite of what you're asking, but the one thing I feel like doesn't is not necessary is that not, it doesn't always have to be high production. Sometimes like people are sold on, around the idea that if I pay a brand agency a ton of money to create something very, very high production, you know, it's going to kick ass. And, and realistically, no, you know, I've seen a you know, a $250 creative outperform all the other creatives that we've created, you know, and, and sometimes it's really just that it's just whatever calls out to your user. And I think that's going back to where knowing your user is very, very important. Right. So if, you know, me being a mid thirties, you know, Asian male, and I'm trying to market a, uh, an app that's meant for a 45 year old Caucasian female, uh, housewife, you know, I can use myself as a basis of what will work, right? And, 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 and I think understanding who your user is, what calls out to them, at what time are they typically, you know, engaged with the app, right? Are they, are they, are they seeing the ad on their commute? Are they seeing the ad when they're at work? Are they seeing the ad when they're at home? Those are some of the things that I think are good to understand so that you know how to be a little bit more efficient of when you're running the ad. Yeah, I love it. I mean, if you guys ever seen a voodoo ad, you can see that it's not yeah. very high quality whatsoever. It almost looks like a meme, right? Yeah, <laughs> but it, it works well for them. It, it generates this feeling of virality. Um, and voodoo, like to your point, like they, they do this incredibly great job in driving users from one app to another, right? They have this insane kind of cross promotion model where they migrate their users from one app to another and all of a sudden you, they could launch a new app and within a day they could have like you know over six seven uh figure ma uh dau uh overnight you know but that's very specific to them because like not many apps can drive that type of reality like they do yeah i love it man hey anything from you know without giving away because i know you got a lot of competitors in the space too but like any type i've been talking a lot about the retention side of things because we talk a lot about growth and it's like okay i get it but like you don't want a leaky bucket. So anything around retention that you can add for us, like that's really helped you guys bring yeah. users back into the app. So for DraftKings, I can't speak that much on it because CRM team is a different team, but I can say that, you know, when I was at Play Studios, one thing that I was really looking into uh, for social slots is really around that user onboarding flow. Um, so even before you talk about like day two, day three, or, you know, day 30 retention, look at your day one retention, right? For every dollar you spend, every single user that leaves on day one is lost potential revenue, right? So when I see an ad and I click on it and I go into your ecosystem, are you showing me the right tutorial? Are you showing me, you know, 
the right onboarding experience. So one very good example I can give is, for example, at Play Studios at the time, uh, we were showcasing ads uh, typically to, you know, slot players, right? People who already play slots, people who've likely paid in the slot game. And the moment they come into our game, they have to go through a, a five minute tutorial to learn how to play slots. And that didn't make a lot of sense to me because I'm like, well, these people are potentially high rollers in a different app. And yet the first thing they see when they come in is like, oh, here's how to play slots. And here's 500 coins when they're used to a billion coins balance. And also there's a mismatch, fundamental mismatch in terms of what you're selling the user and what the user expects. So by understanding that user onboarding flow, then you can start catering what is really the value prop of your app, right? So if you are a high roller and I'm trying to market to you on Facebook and I get you to click and come in, first thing I should show you maybe should be a daily event that's customized for a high roller with a large balance. And, and here's a free drink ticket at the, the Bellagio, you know, because, you know, place studios have real, real world rewards. So, those are some of the things that as you're designing the, not just the game or app, but understanding how you're designing the, the, the tutorial, the user onboarding in relation to what you show before they even come to your app. I think that's important. So did you guys, we, I'm sure you guys were this sophisticated where you're like, this user came from this channel, let's show them a different onboarding experience. That's, you can aggregate it. So you don't have to say like, you know, user one and you versus user two, but you could kind of aggregate it by channel type, um, I think is a, a lazier way or a, a easier way to start. So for example, uh, if, for example, on Facebook, you're only buying uh, Min Roas or like uh, uh, uh value-based lookalikes, for example, right? Where uh, your lookalikes are, are likely uh, driving ads to users who are gonna be high payers anyway, then you can at least minimum make the assumption that most of the users that are coming in are going to be high value users or existing high value users and other apps. Now, you, you would have to do your own test to prove that out, but I think it's a worth, worthwhile test because with the data you have, you should be able to make some underlying assumptions about who is actually coming in. And then you can then look at the data to see if that's true. And if it is true, you should maybe create a different onboarding experience for all the users that come through Facebook, right? This is a very simplified way of explaining it, but I think you, you kind of get my point and, and you don't have to really get it to the user level. Ideally, yes, you want to build it for the user level, but I think Fundamental that, uh, practically speaking, that's very, very hard to build. Hey, John, the other thing I want to talk about too is, this is broadly speaking, so you don't mm -hmm. get specifics, but like in terms of a marketing channel, is there one that you feel like, you know, app creators, UA people are not taking advantage of? Like this is overlooked, obviously giving away like, hey, if I tell this, like everybody's going to board on this. But like, yeah. is there one that you're like, you know what, they should be doing this more, a marketing channel? Um... You know what? I, I don't really think there's any specific channel. What I've noticed, though, um, is that in the last three years, um, a lot of companies would say, oh, we're, we're buying on programmatic inventory. And they are. And, they are and, and realistically, what they're doing is they're working through a managed DSP. Um, so they're, they're, they're paying for someone to drive the car essentially, 
right? But uh, problem with that is that uh, a lot of people who who are paying a, uh, for a managed CSP aren't learning how to run programmatic on their own. And and what's interesting is that in the last three years, you hear you're starting to hear a lot of companies say, "Hey, we want to build out an in-house programmatic team," right? Similar to how seven years ago everyone was paying partners to run their Facebook campaigns. And then all of a sudden you, you see all these like in-house Facebook teams cropping out. And I remember six years ago, if you knew how to buy on Facebook. You were a very, very coveted individual. And I think right now you're starting to see that with more programmatic um, expertise being brought in-house. Um, and I think uh, six years from now, you know, programmatic in-house programmatic will be a dime a dozen. Um, and I think like that is a channel that has uh, definitely a lot of potential, but it has yet to, or not many companies have actually explored it to the extent to which that it could bring opportunity to whatever app they're trying to promote. You know, it's, that's so scary when you say that stuff, it's like, do we start developing different skills? Because, you know, like you said, like everybody understands Facebook now with programmatic, it's like, Hmm, not really that required anymore. We're going to let Facebook handle it. So how do you, as a UA lead start sort of like thinking ahead, being innovative, like what else is next? What else should I be, me as a UA person, what else should I be focused on? Um, I think really looking at market trends, right? So for us, um, our senior director, uh, Janie Pimentel, had the kind of vision of bringing programmatic in-house here at DraftKings and and build out the team to, to start doing it. And even now, you know, programmatic is a very, very new channel to DraftKings. Um, and if anything, we actually operate more like a startup within the company uh, than any other uh, teams that we have. Because, you know, we, and I was saying to you earlier, we operate as if we were given seed money and we're trying to make it work before we run out of runway, right? And, and that's how we operate is that, you know, we want to be very, very efficient with our dollars. We're doing a lot of tests, we're taking a lot of risks. But also set an expectation with our executive team that you know these risks could pay dividends in the long term. Um, but in the interim, we might be testing things that we don't know will work, right? And but that's part of the learning process is um, take building that expertise takes time. Building that expertise takes a lot of work, and 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 that's where like me and and my 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 two teammates are here grinding every day and trying to figure out like, okay, what will work? Is it a dynamic ad? Is it uh, uh, more segmentation with our targeting? Um, or is it like the way we can populate our promo language? Uh, so there's a lot of different things we're testing out. Uh, here's, the, here's the issue, right? We, have, we don't have any lack of great ideas. We lack the time to test them all. So with that, with your entrepreneurs and, and, and startup teams, you're going to run into a situation where you could whiteboard ideas and you could fill the entire whiteboard with ideas. But the trick is being disciplined with what you test and what you focus on. Because if you try to focus 10, on, on 10 things at once, all 10 things will fail. You have to force yourself to really focus, okay, I will not work on more than three things at any given time. And at the same time, draw a line in the sand, right? Sometimes you test something, it won't work. Know when to move on. And that's very, very true when you're, you know, in the startup environment versus, you know, how we're currently running the programmatic team. Now, you got great experience with, you know, some of the game sides with Play Studios, Smule, now DraftKings. What's been your favorite in terms of like, okay, I love running UA for this type of app. 
It's it's different for different reasons. Um, so slot games, I'm not a slot player. Uh, and and I joined I joined the team um, and I fell in love with my team and even to the, this day it's still one of the best teams I've worked with uh, so far in my career um, and 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 on top of that it was a great company that was you know run by some amazing executives so I, I loved Play Studios I, I simply left because I got to a point where I, I didn't feel like I was learning anymore on my day to day. Smuel was a very, very interesting experience. I learned a lot in terms of like how uh, a, a non-gaming app runs and, and how specifically a subscription type business uh, generates and monetizes their users and uh, surprisingly over a very, very different type of LTV model than you would typically see in a mobile game. Um, so that was a great experience and I worked with some amazing people. Uh, DraftKings, what really excites me here is the seasonality of it. Um, Every month can be really, really, really different. Um, and and uh, the more exciting part of it is the legalization of sports gambling um, across the country. And, and every state uh, is a little different in terms of like how you might go to market. Um, and, and every time I come in and we're going to a, a brief on how we're going to launch into a new state, I feel like I'm learning something new. And I think from that aspect, from the learning aspect, DraftKings has been great. Um, I'm someone who, um, if I'm not learning, I'm bored. So I feel like every 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 day I come in, I'm learning from my my teammates. I'm learning from my uh, my managers and learning from the industry itself. And that is has been probably the most enjoyable aspect of my job. Anything that you're fascinated about? <laughs> I really want to see how far sports gambling goes. I want to see how far uh, actually online casino goes, right? Um, so I don't know if many people know, but there's actually three verticals within DraftKings. There's the Daily Fantasy, there's the Sportsbook, and within Sportsbook also lives our casino. Um, so being an ex-social casino marketer, and now I'm in the realm of marketing real money casino, it's, it's very interesting to me to see where this goes and, and how far we could push it. And, and I think that is, that is a piece that I, I really want to stay here long-term to see that play out. That's really cool. Hey, John, anything I missed that you want to make sure we cover? Um, I think speaking to your audience, you know, the founders and the entrepreneurs, you know, like it's going to be a grind. Everyone knows that. Uh, but I think when you guys are building out growth or building out UA, very much so do not silo marketing from product or any other of your engineering teams. I think on the panel, one of the things I put out was that, you know, you really have to think about how you're mar going to market your product as you're building the product. You don't build the product and then figure out marketing later because oftentimes people do the latter and then realize, oh, okay, there's a fundamental disconnect to how I can sell it and what the user actually sees when they come in. So uh, from even something as simple as building out like segmentation within your app so you could do proper A-B testing. Um, as I mentioned earlier, user onboarding. Um, can you properly A-B test if you don't have built out A-B testing fun, uh functionalities within your app, right? If you don't, what that means is that you have to go to a third party, pay a bunch of money, integrate an SDK that might break something. You know, I've seen that happen so many times. And I think like when you start your company and you start building your product, think about all these things as you're building out your app, it will save you a lot of headache, save you a lot of money later down. the line. I love it. Well, 
John, before we hit the big finish, I do want to thank my sponsor, Pollen.vc. Look, guys, for all the hard-earned money that you've put sweat equity, put some of your savings into, and you've earned all this subscription, all these in-app purchases, all this ad revenue, you want to get it faster so that you can reinvest in a channel that Jonathan has told you about, then go check out Pollen.vc. What they do is just give you access to the money that you've already earned faster. And so it's like taking a quick little loan that gives you, that allows you the flexibility to reinvest in any type of growth channel that you found like really working well. So now you spent a little bit of $500 on Google EAC and you want to scale it up and you've earned, let's say $1,500. You want to scale that up. Well, Google's take some time to actually pay you out, but Paul will give you access to that 1500 a lot faster. Obviously you have to be earning a little bit more to be working with Paul.vc, but you get access to those funds quicker so that you can reinvest and work on a campaign and really scale it up as you find something that's working really effectively. So go check them out. It is pollen.vc. Once again, pollen.vc. John, this has been absolutely amazing, but let's go to the big finish. Give us one app we should definitely check out. So this is more of a guilty pleasure. Um, I've been playing Clash of Clans since early 2013, and I've probably spent I, I can't say this out loud because if my wife hears it, she'll kill me. Um, I've spent a lot of money, suffice to say, uh, over the years. Uh, and to this day, I still play that app daily. Uh, and, and it's become a part of my life. So, yeah, Clash of Clans. Shout out to the Supercell team for creating such a great app. Uh, yeah. It's pretty crazy. Like, the longevity of that game the fact that people play for so long is pretty crazy like they've done a great job of that yes yeah, i agree what's a lesson that took you it doesn't have to be business related but what's a lesson that took you the longest to learn so the one that i i hear a lot but i i realized you know people always say like be open-minded uh and 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 listen to other people's opinions um and and what ends up happening in our industry is that we're an industry full of all the smart people and like uh, to the point where smart people are a com commodity, right? Uh, and with smart people comes with a lot of uh, opinions of uh, who thinks who's right. What I've learned over the years and it took me a long time to learn this is that there are different degrees or different versions of what is true, right? In our industry, we like to say, hey, the data proves it. And then the, the data is binary. You know, you can you can prove something right or wrong to a certain extent. Um, what I've learned is that uh, when you're talking about like how to approach something, how to build something, there's different interpretations of the truth and they all could be right uh, within certain, uh, depending on the circumstance. So just because someone disagrees with you, it doesn't mean they're wrong, doesn't mean they're right, doesn't mean you're wrong, doesn't mean you're right. It just means it's a different interpretation of the truth um and i think that's where i think a lot of people can really sit down and really just listen to the what the other person is saying and what context they are saying it in and uh, i think that will lead to a lot more healthy discussion rather than a lot of arguments that we typically see in within companies i love it and a question i've been asking a lot of the ua people now are like what's a favorite tool of yours that you really like up until now, still Excel, but uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> you <angered> you. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I love Excel. I love what it does. Um, but I think uh, 
one thing, one one company, and this is not a sponsor at all, uh, but one company that I really uh, love working with is uh, Singular. Um, they make my life a lot easier because they do a lot of my cost aggregation. Um, I've worked with companies where we that we've tried to build our own Singular or cost aggregation tool, and uh, oftentimes uh, companies they think, oh, I can build this, so why not? But uh, the question they should ask them is, just because you can build it, should you? Can you maintain it? Right. So those are. Uh, Singular is definitely a tool that I use every day that, you know, I honestly can't live without. I love it. I love the fact that you said, and it might have been overlooked, can you maintain it? Yeah, you can build it, but can you maintain it? Because I think even people who get into the app space are like, yeah, you can build it, but can you maintain it? iOS is going to change. The screen size might change. All this might change. Can you? Are you willing to keep maintaining it throughout the... What happens when you build in-house tools is that people who build it move on to other projects. And when the tool breaks... Guess what? You know, there's no one working on it anymore. Yeah, so true. John, this was absolutely amazing, man. Thank you so much. Look, guys, it is draftkings.com. Go check them out. You guys probably heard of it. They're on all the podcasts that I listen to, John. So draftkings.com, search for it in your favorite app stores as well. John, if the audience wants to follow up with you and say thank you for coming on or just ask you any random questions, do you want to send them anywhere else? Um, hit me up on LinkedIn. Happy to have a chat there. Uh, and uh, I'll do a, a little plug. Uh, we are hiring for our team. Uh, so uh, for the programmatic team, for our paid search team. Uh, so if you are looking to join a very robust company uh, that, you know, and essentially at the uh, the cutting edge of like legalized gambling in the U.S., uh, this is a, would be a great time to join, uh, given the fact that, you know, I, I live in the San Francisco, or I work at the San Francisco office. We're a small team, and really, we are a startup within a thousand-person company. There's only like twelve of us here. Wow. So, uh, if you are looking for a startup-like experience, but with the stability of a thousand-person company, I think DraftKings is the place for you. Oh, you sold it very well, my friend. So go check him out. It is, and I will link up John's name to his LinkedIn. So if you want to, you know, reach out to him, just connect with him. Don't ask him dumb questions, but you, know, you can connect with him. But John, thank you so much for taking the time and doing this, man. Thank you, Steve. And thank, thank you, you Paul and VC. <laughs> thank you all for listening. I'll see you on the next chat. Thanks for listening to the App Masters Podcast. For show notes and amazing app marketing content, check out appmasters.co.